This is Live Well Talk on Medicine, Color, Culture, Equity. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health, St. Luke's. Our guest today is Bonnie Lunsford, a nurse in the St. Luke's Emergency Department, and also the first recipient of the Gail Stork Emergency Nurse Award. It was in, in, uh, endowed by the medical staff. Bonnie is currently working her Master's of Communication and Public Health and recently completed her graduate program, which identified and looked to improve inconsistencies in care for limited English-speaking populations. Her project has seen great success at St. Luke's, and she's here today to share more about the project. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you so much. I forgot uh, I was the first one for that award. That was a nice reminder. Thank you. Yeah, yes. We're very proud of you. I was very happy that day. You know, when we talk about equity uh, and equality, you know, you, there is one, uh, I think, a language deficit, something we, we it's easy to overlook. And you and I have seen this in our career. We've changed from, uh, we used to, it was okay to use the families, right? Yeah. Not in a, a specific, someone that was specific. You know, we've changed that. And I think we've changed that for the best, quite honestly. But can you give us some background on what your project is and, and what prompted you to do it? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, when I started back for my master's at Allen College, um, I chose community and public health because I've always had a desire just to be a part of uh, vulnerable populations and honestly thought I would probably be living overseas as a nurse at some point. Haven't done that yet, but maybe that's in my future. And and through that graduate program, um, I became aware of a population within our community that I had interacted with for years because I've been in the emergency department for almost 16 years now, um, but never really understood that many of them come from um, actually from refugee camps. and. So started working with the Catherine McCauley Center and their refugee resettlement and began to realize that a lot of the disparity that those individuals experience is, number one, the language, like you mentioned, but also just their lack of understanding for our healthcare system and preventative medicine and just felt like I was in a unique position to be able to help address some of those inequities by putting together something in the emergency department to help with that. Yeah, I you, a language deficit. Uh, not that it's a handicap, but it's like uh, if you're if you if you're deaf, it's the like it's like the only handicap that people get mad at you for having, right? They get frustrated with you, and then they start talking louder. Like that's <laughs> understand loud English as opposed to normal English, right? right? Yes. You know, I mean, nobody gets. You see a blind person, you're like, wow, that boy. Let's let's be helpful. But you, you encounter a patient that has a deficit of language or hearing. And you find yourself kind of getting frustrated with them, you yeah. know, which that's not right. That's not good. And it's so easy to say, learn the language, learn English. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's fine, but that's not going to help take care of this patient. You know, and I think as, as clinicians, we have a patient we have to take care of. And we have to we have to understand that there there's more than just uh, there's there's more to the continuum of care than just what we've seen in our own personal experiences. And and uh, and reach out to them. Uh, what what were some of the inconsistencies that you observed uh, with English? And I, you, the other thing, Bonnie, I always tell people: just imagine if you were in a foreign country. I don't speak any uh, languages. You know what? You're you're in uh, you know Hungary, uh, and uh, you don't speak the language. You you may not have someone that speaks English. Yep. Uh, as Americans or as English speaking world, we're pretty get we're pretty blessed on a lot of things. But one of them is most of the world speaks English, you know. So I mean, that's not not all the world speaks Swahili. Yep. 
you know, so you have a little bit more flexibility. But, but what were some things that you noticed? Um, like inconsistencies within my department or just struggles with working with these individuals? Both. Okay. Um, I really feel like uh, there's a lack of understanding in the healthcare community about the reality of what these individuals face. And like you mentioned, sometimes our interactions can be really brief with them. And so we're frustrated and we're not as patient because of that constant need to be quicker in what we're doing, but provide good care. So I think just hoping that uh, individuals within the healthcare system can be a little bit more culturally sensitive and realize that, yes, there's a language barrier, but there's so much else that goes behind that. And this person is an individual and what was their path and their journey to coming here. And some of them may have been in our country for five years. Some of them may have been in here for three months, but still their understanding of how, of our expectation of them in the healthcare system might not be the same as ours. So really uh, the inconsistency of what we would expect of our patients and, and really what how they understand healthcare. So to them, uh, many of the individuals that I work with in and outside the hospital, um, healthcare is just the hospital. The hospital is one big word for you go there when you get sick. So whether it's the clinic or urgent care or surgery or the hospital, um, it's all just going to the hospital. So I think that was something that was pretty eye-opening for me as well. Yeah, I had that same experience uh, with the uh, Meskwaki settlement when I practiced in Grinnell. Mm -hmm. See these patients, you discharge them home from the hospital, they were critically ill, you need to see them follow up and they wouldn't show up. And then, so you call them and say, hey, how are you doing? You had an appointment day. They go, oh, I didn't know I should come to the doctor when I wasn't sick because mm -hmm. they, you didn't go to the doctor unless you're sick. You yep. know, they had the concept of follow-up and preventive care. They just, it was kind of admirable in a way that they just weren't running the doctor for everything. But on the second, on the on the other hand, we, we needed to see them. But you're absolutely right. It's that cultural deficit. Uh, and they don't, they don't know what we're expecting. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they start with a deficit there. Uh, and it's not like they don't want to fulfill our expectations. They just don't know how. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's also a lack of, uh, bilingual discharge instructions, and that that is a big gap that uh, I think Unity Point Health um, can do better and that I'm helping with a part of that project. But we discharge these individuals from the emergency department. We hand them a piece of paper that's all written in English. And even though we go over that with an interpreter, um, they go home and they can't remember. I mean, how many times have we gone somewhere ourselves and get home oh. and remember the dose of the medication we're supposed to take or what day we're supposed to go back. So I think that was also a big gap that I was able to recognize was occurring within my department that prompted it too. And what were the results of your project? I mean, what have you seen? What has been the outcome? You talked about the, the language appropriate discharge instructions or language applicable might be the best term. What other results did you see? Well, the project itself, I standardized uh, care coordination and kind of fancy words to say I, any uh, limited English proficient patient that came to the emergency department would trigger uh, a referral to our social workers or our nurse case managers. And those individuals would go in the bedside and they would have um, somewhat of a standardized question that questionnaire that they would go through to make sure these individuals had the resources they needed in the community family doctors, um, pharmacies, 
And then also just to make sure that they did understand, okay, this is where, you know, if you do get medicine, this is where it will come from. Or um, if you need a referral to a family doc, we'll help you. And then they would all oftentimes call them the next day with an interpreter to make sure they understood. So all, um, just by standardizing that process, uh, we were able to see a large increase in how many referrals this team was able to give and how many resources they were able to provide. Um, I tracked, tracked the data two different ways. One, I compared how many presented to the emergency department that spoke a language other than English. And then of those, um, how many were um, seen by care coordinators. And so we saw that referrals increased by at least 33% according to EPIC. But my tracking method I felt like was a little bit more accurate in that um, anytime the care coordination team received a referral, how often they would go at the bedside, meet with these patients, and how often did they give resources? Um, we had some pre-project data, and I compared it to the post-product, and those resources increased by 250%, which I felt like was a pretty significant number to just show you that simply by meeting with these individuals, or simply by getting the referral so that they knew that this patient was here, they could in increase those resources 250%. So I think that showed that there's a big need um, for these individuals to get more resources and more support from us as healthcare. Early on in the COVID pandemic, um, Dr. Edwards put together some data and we were about 100 patients in admissions. 25% of them were English deficient. Wow. So, I mean, so you, as a clinician, you can come to work and say, well, this is not, this isn't, yeah, that's something that happens in the big cities. Uh, and it, 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 it's happening right here. Even back to the Ebola in 2014, uh, you know, we had people that, well, yeah, employees up in Waterloo that, that they're, yeah, I'm going home to, you know, Kenya and, uh, and flying out of, you know, these airports that, that was uh, episodics, uh, episodic uh, uh, outbreaks of Ebola. So the world's a small place. Yeah. Did you learn anything else uh, in this? I mean, um, the culture, I don't want to say sensitive, culture competency. Mm -hmm. As a clinician, uh, I know I have that deficit. I don't recognize that there might be a, a cultural perception or expectation from healthcare uh, that I'm not delivering on. Uh, what, what were some things that you discovered? Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think that um, I will probably never be culturally competent, but I would like to say I'm working towards that and that I'm trying to be more aware of differences in culture. Um, one thing that was surprising to me is uh, some of them are literate, so even if we could provide them with written information, they might not be able to read it. And then um, the second thing is that even that I feel like we also need to realize that uh, anyone that doesn't speak English, we don't want to assume that what we're presenting to them is the only option for them. What we need to do as healthcare providers is present them with the information so they can make an informed decision and then respect the decision they make because I right, think that's right. a huge cultural difference is not everybody wants to do um, recommended procedures or take medications and that they have their right as a citizen in this country to make those decisions. And so that's that was pretty eye-opening this year too that Although I feel like, especially as a nurse, this is the best procedure for you. These are the best medications for you to take. We have to take that step and really respect their choices. Let them be autonomous in those choices. Absolutely. 
And I, I've said this on a previous podcast, not only the cultural competency, but also their medical IQ in that second language. I mean, it's one thing to speak English. It's one thing to have a, a, a reasonable medical IQ when even our own indigenous English speaking population uh, probably reads at a eighth grade or lower level. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you don't you don't stop and remember that. Yeah. And, and then there's the flip side of it where you have people who live here that are just, uh, they're, they're so loyal to physicians and respectful that they don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. So then you have the other extreme where they just, whatever you say, they, they never question it or they never partner in that uh, provision of healthcare, which that's, that's not good either. Yeah. One, one of the studies that I based my project off um, found that individuals that not only were, had limited English, but also low health um, literacy were experiencing health problems twice as often as people that had neither of those things. So you look at that and we have, um, you know, someone like myself that I feel like I pretty understand healthcare pretty well and I speak English that I'm uh, have the potential to be twice as healthy as someone who doesn't have those just because yeah. of the language barrier. So yeah. hoping to just help with some of that along the way. Well, you, I mean, sometimes when you question a patient, what's hypertension? They, they can't. They know what high blood pressure is. Yep. Use that term hypertension interchangeably, thinking, assuming that they know it, and they might not. Nope. You're right. Um, and I, I think that's that's important. I, I just tell a little anecdote. I just think, you know, we it, here at the hospital, as you know, and just for people listening to the podcast, that we now use certified certified interpreter services. We don't rely on the family unless it's an emergency, yep. you know, but, but we do rely on that. I remember one time I was putting a pacemaker in. And it was a Vietnamese family and the grandson was translating for me. And I would talk for like a minute and then he would say two words yeah. and then the grandpa go, you know, and just agree with him. And I'm like, there's no way you're explaining yeah. to him what I'm trying to explain to him. So I think it's a good idea not to use the families uh, I, and yep. if you can use the, the expertise. And I've been really impressed with some of the interpreters that come to the hospital, their medical knowledge and ability to translate it for us, I think is a big big uh, accomplishment but as you point out bonnie it, it goes beyond the four walls of the hospital you can if you hand them in in their own language and they can't have don't have reading skills then that doesn't accomplish it yeah i would hope that sometime over the next half a year we could get uh interpreters back in the hospital too right now we're all dependent on the stratus interpretation which is thankful for that that we have that as an option but there's something that is definitely missed without that face-to-face -face yep translation piece and well, I think they can read the culture and their the interpreters that we brought into the hospital are also familiar with the community and different cultural dynamics just present here just simply because we're in Iowa too. Yeah well there's a book called the 12 nations and what it is about is how the United States is actually 12 separate cultures mm -hmm. and it talks about Midwest, Northeast, you know the Appalachian culture and here in Iowa we're kind of a combination of Northeast and Appalachia, you know, the, I mean, Southern Iowa culture is way different from Northern Iowa culture and it, it, it is. And so we shouldn't assume that all people that from Germany are German and they have the same behaviors and beliefs, because that might not be true. Uh, but we tend to do that. We try to tend to oversimplify. And I guess my goal is just for clinicians to stop and say, okay, there may be a language barrier here and I need to be cognizant of that and, and work to overcome it. Uh, rather than just blown by it. Yes. Yeah. So, Bonnie, this is great information. I always like talking to Bonnie. 
And this project, very proud of you, which is easy to be proud of Bonnie. This is Bonnie Lunsford, a nurse in the St. Luke's Emergency Department. Be sure to join us next month for Medicine, Color, Culture, and Equity. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.